let's dive into the word. Uh, I want to catch you up a little bit. If you haven't been here for our series uh, across campus, it's been a joy to work with Luke and with Bill as well. But we've been in this series from the birth of Christ to the birth of the church. Last couple weeks, we uh, talked about Christ's invitation to us, uh, a call for us to follow him. Uh, I've been using this phrase over at Watershed, just want you to kind of get us on the same page together. But when I talk about discipleship, following Jesus, this is what I mean, that in Christ, we are being found in, informed by Jesus as we follow him. So we're finding our identity. Christ is inviting us into a life where we can find our identity, where he can shape us, he can mold us into the person that God desired us actually to be. And he's going to then, out of that, lead us into a life of significance in this world. He's going to lead us into a life like uh, Luke talked about last week. We all talked about we're going to be living out this kingdom life and, and experiencing some of the blessedness of, of God in our lives. We're going to, God is going to shape our hearts so that we're going to show up in the world a little different way. So it's kind of where we've been over the last couple of weeks. But again, I want to keep in your mind that when we talk about following Jesus, it's in him that we find our identity and that he is forming us. So if you will, jump in uh, with me to Matthew 5. So whether you're following along on your phone or up on the screen or in your Bibles, uh, let's hear God's word this morning. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put her under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, glorify your father in heaven. Do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, Tell you this, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, you could say, not a single iota will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. God, our Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege to be able to call you our Father. To know that you are a God of love who has rescued us and given us life. Thank you for sending your Son, Christ, to be the true salt and light on the earth in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning, that we would find our identity in you and who you are, that we would allow you this space to transform our hearts and our minds, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that truly are open to you, so that you, God, can work your life out in us and through us for your sake and your glory. In the name of Jesus, all God's children said, amen. 
So what's Jesus doing in this passage and, and, and what has he been doing so far in what we call this thing, the Sermon on the Mount? Well, for Israelites and, and Jewish people at the time, Jesus and Matthew in particular, as he's telling us this story, is trying to bring us back to a key moment in their history. It was a moment when God had rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They had been there for four, over 400 years. They went in... And they had positions that were good and thriving. They had life. They were blessed. But over time, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians had subjected them to slavery. And so what happens? They cry out to God, like any of us, right? If we're going through stuff, if life is hitting us the wrong way, if we're feeling trapped, if we're feeling stuck, we call out. They called out to God. They cried out to God, God, help us. We need you. Rescue us. And what did God do? This God that formed a people for himself, that he wanted to actually be salt and light. Matthew's not just using terms that were arbitrary terms. They were terms that would have connected to their hearts. They knew they were to be salt and life. They were blessed to be a blessing in the world. They were to be God's goodness in the world. And they're saying, Lord, how do we do that when we're in slavery? Save us. What did God do? He rescued them. He brought them freedom. He gave them life. And as he led them into a desert, Moses, their leader, went up on a hill, much like Jesus went up on a hill. And he received from God another grace, a grace that we call today the law. Now, how many of you would go, what? The law? No, I try to avoid that. Every time I see a speed limit sign, that, that, is, that is a welcome, uh, a welcome invitation to surpass it, right? <laughs> No, the law was a grace. Why? Because how do you know if you've got this God that rescued you, it's been hundreds of years, you don't know really how to follow him. You don't know what he, this God that saved you expects of you. You don't know the picture he's painting for life. How do you know that? I have no clue unless he does what? He gives it to me. So God in his grace and his love not only rescues his people, but he gives them a picture of how life is to be of what their life was to look like, of what he would be working for, the kingdom of God that we've been hearing Luke talk about, right, over these last couple of weeks. As I was thinking about this law, um, I thought about a few years ago, Sydney, Australia. And you'd be going, what? Sydney, Australia in the law? Well, my brother lives in Australia. Uh, a few years ago, he got married to an Aussie. Uh, my sister-in-law, Jane, I think I can call her an Aussie. That's okay. She's not here to smack me. So, and we now have a little nephew who's an Oz American, right? So a little, a little combo. But I had the privilege to spend time with him, to, to participate in his wedding. It was great. I also had the opportunity to go to Sydney. And I got to see this marvelous thing called the Sydney Opera House. And yes, of course, you have to pose. I will leave my arias at home today. There will be no operatic expressions for you. But as I looked at the opera house and, and thought about that this week, I thought about building plans. Now you're really like, okay, the law, Sydney, building plans. We just went through some renovations here, right? And, and what does a good architect do when you're, when you're working together at the beginning of a plan, some of you are in building, you know that. A good architect does what? Paints a picture of what the end will hopefully look like, right? They're trying to captivate your imagination. You're trying to get an idea of what you're going at. God, in his law, was painting a picture for us. 
The law actually, way back in the 16th century, we had folks like Martin Luther, John Calvin, they were pastors. They're people who actually laid the groundwork for our tradition and where we are today. They said the law was a mirror. It would reflect the goodness of God. It would reflect the perfection of God. It would reflect the purposes of God, right? It, it, It paints a picture for us. And now, A good architect not only paints a picture for you, but then lays out plans, right? And there are plans and details of how you would go about building this fantastic work of art. Now, I don't know about you, but if I look at those plans, I am keenly aware of something. That there ain't no way I'm building that. (laughs) Right? Anybody else say amen to that this morning? (laughs) Right? It may be a beautiful picture. It may be lead a picture for God, the law. This was intended for life. It, it was a beautiful picture. And yet, like Paul writes, this follower of Jesus in Romans 7, while this law was meant for life, it actually led me to my death. It painted a picture of something that I couldn't possibly do. It gave me an idea when I look at the blueprints and and if I were to look at the details, I'd see what I am am totally and utterly incapable of doing. I might be able to cross a few things off, but there is no way I can pull off that work of art. I need a master craftsman. I need a master builder. I need someone else to do it. I could come alongside of, right? I could learn underneath. I could apprentice, or we might call disciple, be discipled by someone else, but I can't do it. Paul recognized that with the law when he writes in Romans 3. So just a a touch earlier than what I just shared. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, right? So this perfect picture and yet in, in perfect details of that picture. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, Right? And God in it has put all of us, we are underneath his law, his ordering of life. It goes to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be what? Silenced. And that the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. Right, when Jesus talks to us in Matthew 5 this morning, says, oh, by the way, be salt and light in the world. I want you to be salt and light. I want you to have a rightness, a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the people who guarded the law, who made sure it was taught. Like, I want you to be better than them. Um, I'm going to realize pretty quickly that I'm inadequate. Are you with me? See, and actually, growing up, uh, where I did and how I did in the church we were always told, you better be the salt and light. We were told, you better be righteous. You, you better be perfect. We'll hear that next week. You better get your acts straight because you know what? If you don't, you're not worth anything. You're going to be trampled in the ground. Oh, and if you don't, God's just going to be done with you and you're not good enough. But is that what Jesus is saying this morning? Is that what Paul is picking up on? No. Verse 17 in Matthew 5, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to what? Fulfill it. The word fulfill means to complete, to bring it to its fullness, to do what we ourselves couldn't do, right? The law, if we look at it, we're keenly aware, aren't we? (laughs) That man, I don't keep it. 
I am not salt and light. I am not as good as the religious leaders, the Pharisees. I don't care what kind of dime or degree you put into it. You're still not as good as they are. I am keenly aware that I can't live up to God's status and expectations. I can't pull off the picture he wants, at least not of my own self. Jesus says, exactly, that's why I'm here. Last week, Luke picked up on a fact in, in, in the, what we call the Beatitudes, this list of blessedness that Jesus was saying, hey, by the way, everybody, it's me, not you. It's me, not you. He's continuing that this morning. He'll continue that throughout all of this sermon on the Mount. It's me, not you. I'm the one who fulfills it. I'm the one who fills it up. I know you can't, but I can. Paul picks up on that as he continues in Romans 3. He says, listen, the law helps us become conscious of our sin, verse 21. But now apart from the law, so apart from that, the righteousness, the rightness of God has been made known. Even though we can't pull it off, he can. It's been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. It says this righteousness, this rightness is given through faith in who? Jesus Christ to all who believe, right? Our only work is belief in him, trusting in his rightness, not in and of ourselves. Goes on to say there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is for everyone. This is not just for some of us. It's for every one of us in him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So all of us are free. All of us can live. All of us, even though we are guilty. I mean, that's what justification is. That's us standing in the courtroom and going, okay, all right, I was speeding. So since I use that illustration and there's not a speed limit sign that I don't like to go flying past, that has led me to a courtroom before, I'll admit. Children, follow the speed limit. <laughs> Judge sits there and goes, boom, Aaron, you're guilty. I go, yep, <laughs> you're right. And yet, Jesus steps in. This is how it's different. He doesn't remove that declaration. He says, absolutely, Judge, he's guilty. But guess what? I'm going to take everything that now he deserves I'm not only going to pay the fine, but I don't want it on his record. I want it on mine. Yeah, he was guilty, but yeah, he now gets to get off scot-free because I'm going to take it all on me. That's what justification is. It's freedom in the face of our brokenness and mistakes. It's in the face of knowing. See, we get to actually, as Christians, be honest with ourselves and honest with others about our mistakes, that we're not salt and light. I am not the greatest thing since sliced bread. Just FYI, partly because I don't have a cool Irish accent. <laughs> I hope Luke listens to this. <laughs> right? I am not, but he is. This is the good news for us. This is Jesus saying, listen, when we talk about the salt and light, I actually want you to realize that I am the salt and light. When we talk about salt, right, we talk about something that preserves and holds a life. We talk about something that brings healing to life. We even talk about something that gives a little flavor and zest to life, right? 
This is the point of salt. And Jesus is saying, by the way, and we'll get to what that means for us, but just, just FYI, I'm the real salt. In John 1, we hear Jesus come into the world, into darkness as the light, right? The darkness can't comprehend him. Brokenness can't handle what Jesus brings to the plate. And he goes, oh, and the righteousness of of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, this is a a pastor I heard this week said this, that the law, the author of law, the, the writer of the law, the lawmaker, who is God, became the law keeper, Jesus, for us who are the lawbreakers. That the lawmaker became the law keeper for us who are the lawbreakers. That his righteousness far surpassed that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In fact, we'll hear in, in, in weeks to come about how deep the righteousness of God really goes. How the law impacts our life and what it means for us. But Jesus, the lawmaker, is the law keeper who sets us the lawbreakers free. This is the good news for us. And we get to rest in that truth. So now what? Do we get rid of the law? That would be a a term in theology. It's called antinomianism. See, I can barely even say it. So don't worry about it. But it just says, okay, if we got grace from God, we don't need the law. Just throw it away. That's what it means. But does Jesus say that in our text this morning in Matthew 5? No. Don't get rid of a single iota, he says. Don't get rid of a single pen stroke. Don't get rid of a single thing, not just simply because it points to us what God desires for you and that it will show you your need for me, but don't get rid of it because it is now, it's no longer your master. It used to be before Jesus. Now it's just a helpful guide. Now it's the blueprints to help you figure out how to build the opera house. It's there as a guide and a help, and I'm not getting rid of it. Actually, I'm going to unpack it for you, and in me, I'm going to show you, I'm going to transform in you the very life that I'm intending for you. This goes back to our definition of discipleship, right? That we find ourselves in, find our identity in, and are formed by Christ as we follow him. We have a catechism. Some of you know this Heidelberg Catechism. Some of you, like me, have had to memorize question and answers in it. Some of you are going, Cato, what? Right? So catechism, I always say this. It's, it's helpful words. They're, they're like a wise friend. They're not scripture itself, but they're a wise friend who has come alongside of us. This also came out of the 16th century. It's a wise friend that helps us understand what the scripture is saying and what the good news actually of God really is. And, the, and it's set up in this format that it starts by telling us we belong body and soul and life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus. We actually just got to, together with some of our youth group members talk about that this weekend at a profession of faith retreat. And then it journeys through what we just talked about, how we know what sin is and, and what our deliverance is. But it ends then with this question of, so then how do we live? What does it look like if we've been rescued If we've been given life, what does it look like to live? Here's the question. It's set up in a question and answer format for teaching and for devotions. Since we've been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, right? We don't offer anything. Why then should we do good works? Right here, 
want you to hear Jesus now saying, I'm not getting rid of the law. It's important. It's still there and present in our lives because Christ, having redeemed us, so having brought us back by his blood, is also what? Restoring us by his spirit into his image. That the law becomes something that helps us see God at work in us and we join in that work of him restoring us, transforming us, and changing us into the person he created us to be. So not only has he rescued us from our inabilities, but he's now working in us some abilities. He's changing our lives and transforming us by his presence and his power that is the Holy Spirit. And he's shaping us into his image so that with our whole lives, we may show that we're thankful to God for his benefits so that he may be praised through us so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Sounds a lot like Matthew 5 this morning, right? Don't hide that light under a bushel. If, if you're living in this salt and light, if, if Christ, who is the salt and light, is, is adding that into your life, if he's transforming you, if he's working out what the law was purposed for in you, he goes, don't hide that goodness from the world. Don't hide your brokenness, but also don't hide that goodness. Why? So that the Father may be glorified through you. Catechism is just unpacking what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 5. Well, we're told also in Hebrews 10. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written much like Matthew to a Jewish audience. Picks up on particularly Jewish themes and ideas. And picking up in this passage on, on, on the priesthood of Christ in his sacrifice. In verse 14, I love this verse. Um, I would say it's one of my favorite in scripture, but I probably have too many favorites in scripture to have a favorite, right? Anybody else with me on that? But verse 14, for by one sacrifice, right? So here's the sacrifice of Christ. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. The tense here is it's already been done. He has already made us perfect. He has already completed us, much like the word fulfill. This is already done. So in Christ, you're already perfect. Do you ever think about that? Did you know that? In the eyes of our Father in heaven, you are perfect because of Christ Jesus. But listen to what happens. And you're like, well, but I'm certainly not perfect. And he goes, yeah, amen. He made perfect those forever, those who are being made holy, which is also perfect. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're completely holy, you're completely perfect, and you're being made perfect. Anybody now royally confused? No, the thing is, we already have in Christ everything we need. Jesus is saying this in, in the Beatitude, in the Sermon on the Mount. I am it. In me is life, is the fullness of life. And I am going to work that life out in you. Right? The law was meant to help be a guide then for how that life gets worked out in us. It's a way in which God uses, it's a tool to help us in that journey of transformation. The writer of Hebrews continues and says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. So God's presence in us testifies to us about this. First, he says, and quoting Jeremiah, this is the covenant, this is promise that I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. So has Christ gotten rid of the law? 
No, he's writing it actually in our hearts and our minds. Why? Because it still paints a beautiful picture of God's kingdom and the life that God desperately desires in this world and for us. Goes on to say, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Praise God. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So there's no more sacrifices needed. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, whenever you see therefore, what's it there for? Okay? Therefore, if this is true, so what? Well, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, what's the word? Confidence. One of the gifts of God is the confidence that is received not in our greatness, but in his. Not in what we can accomplish, but in what he can accomplish. Not in how far have I gotten in my journey, right? So I'm somebody who's dealt with lust. Anybody else? I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> but man, sometimes I feel like I got it and I've done good. Sometimes there's a season where I feel like, man, I've... I don't want a lot of things. That's good. I feel at peace. I feel like I'm content. And then there are other seasons where I am just a mess, <laughs> right? Anybody else ever feel like that about some of the stuff God's working on in your life? But see, my confidence isn't built on how well I did today. My confidence rests assured on what he did and that he will continue the work he started in me, right? He will make us holy. It continues to say, we have this confidence, and it's confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is body. Before it was through following the law, now it's through Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with an honest heart. No more needing to put on masks. No more having to make it look like you've got it all together. You can be who you are. God meets us right where we are. Now the glory of God then becomes that he refuses us to leave us there. But he meets us where we are. We can come to him with sincere hearts and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. How many of you love to get rid of the guilt that weighs you down? Well, guess what? In Christ, that's a freedom we have and having our bodies washed with pure water. No amount of showers I take can cleanse me, but Christ's blood can. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, right? It's his faithfulness, not my own. Now, let us consider then, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds that we're still salt and light in the world. We're salt and light that's intended to bring life. God wants to use us in his plan. But we do that with one another. We encourage one another in how we live. It, that life takes fruit, bears fruit in our lives. It says not giving up meeting together, right? We need each other in this journey as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, until all of these things are fulfilled. He's still looking for a day and we're still looking for a day where what God plans, right? This beautiful picture of the Sydney Opera House, 
will finally come to its fullness. That is, the kingdom of God will finally, will finally be able to see it, where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more struggling with, man, really, speed limit right here? You want to make that 45? You sure it's not 55? Right? For us, Christ again points us and says, it's me. Rest in me. Rest in me who is the salt and light of the world. Rest in me whose righteousness is greater than anybody else could ever make, do, or accomplish, including you. And trust then as you rest in me. I will continue to work my life out in and through you, not only for your sake, but for the sake of this world and others. Praise God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your rightness for your righteousness. God, thank you that you do give us, though, a picture of the law, a picture of your kingdom. You're not leaving us wondering, God, what do you expect? What do you hope for us? Thank you for, Lord, promising not only that your righteousness is good enough for us, but that you continue to shape us and mold us by it that you continue to work out your fruit in our lives, that you continue to transform us. Lord, I pray that we would each today rest in your rightness, in your righteousness. Pray that each of us would come to that ability and, and come into that space where we can finally say, God, it's not me. It needs to be you. And in that, Lord, may we hear and see not how the law is, our, is, is God, but how the law now is a guide in which your spirit will work in us, empower us, and walk with us as we live and walk in it. And Lord, all of this isn't just simply for us, it's for our world. Our world needs to see our honesty, both the brokenness, our failings, and also the things that you've worked in us, that when they see that life lived in you, God, that through us they would see you and that their lives would be able to be transformed, that our friends, our family would find the freedom that we ourselves have been able to find in you. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.